It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 74, David and Jonathan. After David cuts off the head of the Goliath with his own sword, there are a few fascinating verses. 1 Samuel 17, 54. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. All right, stop here. There's a hidden mystery here. The glory of God to conceal a matter, to search it out, the glory of kings. David kept the weapons of the Philistine, and he took the head to Jerusalem. There's obviously a flag here because Jerusalem is in the hands of the Jebusites. Jerusalem's not even the hands of the Philistines or the Israelites. It's in the hands of an old Canaanite tribe at this point, the Jebusites. What does this mean? Doing some research on the internet, many have connected the place of the skull, Golgotha, the hill that overlooks Jerusalem, the same Golgotha that Jesus was crucified, on this place, the place where David took the head of Goliath. Some have tied these two pieces together, that David prophetically kept the head of Goliath and in time threw it upon or buried it on the future place of Golgotha to fulfill the original prophecy that the heel of the descendants of Eve, Jesus on the cross, would crush the head of the descendants of the devil, the head of Goliath. Also, Golgotha actually means the place of the skull. It's pretty deep to consider. David was enacting prophecy and most likely completely unaware what he was doing at the time. In fact, David will do this his entire life. Even in its highest highs and lowest lows, he'll be enacting prophetic types and shadows or speaking prophetically about the time of Jesus and even the time of the end all through his life especially in the heartfelt book of Psalms. The next verse really gives us an indication of the sadness of what's overcome Saul. 1 Samuel seventeen, fifty-six. The king said, Find out whose son that young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. It's fascinating to me that Saul didn't know who David was, considering he was one of his armor bearers and the one who played the lyre for him. Unless there's a deeper mystery here. You know, according to the Jewish legends, David's appearance actually changed when he put on Saul's armor. Regardless, Saul is losing it, and this scene shows his obvious delirium in his mind. Now we arrive at the brotherhood of David, his friendships, and deeper understanding of his love for his fellow man. But we just get a taste of it, and even get a glimpse behind the veil at relationships that God makes with other people in David's relationship with Jonathan. And I call this the start of the brotherhood of Israel, because it, that is the correct word for it. And, and I'm not talking about a fraternity or a secret group, but a true brotherhood of warriors and men of God who will soon be surrounding themselves around David. 
He will have very close relationships and generals and bodyguards. He will have an elite guard called the 30, which will be the legendary best soldiers of his army. But above them, there will be the three, whose talents and legends are truly Samsonish. We'll spend a lot more time in the future regarding David's mighty men, but we will see the beginning of this with his relationship with Jonathan. Imagine Jonathan, the warrior, the legendary Jonathan, who attacked an entire enemy garrison up on a mountaintop, the man whose faith was so radical that it moved God to triumph over the Philistines. The Bible miniseries shows what most likely happened, that Saul prevented Jonathan from taking on Goliath. So when David shows up and defeats Goliath, Jonathan looks on with marvel at a like-minded individual. Imagine the times after the defeat of Goliath and the pursuit of the Philistine army. Jonathan and David running together after the fleeing Philistines, meeting each other in the heat of battle and running and fighting. A warrior bond was developing. No doubt, David knew the history of Jonathan, and Jonathan was curious who this David was. The making of a friendship and warrior bond between two men was inevitable. The descriptive language of their relationship is so strong, it can be startling, but it really defines the phileo love of God. Let me explain. The English language has one word for love. The most precise language in the world, Greek, which was the eventual best language and used for the New Testament, has four words for love. Eros, erotic love. Agape, heavenly, unconditional love. Phileo, brotherly love. Or relational love or family love, storge. The example of David and Jonathan is the classic example of phileo, relational or brotherly love. 1 Samuel 18, 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So it sounds strange, and did you notice the strong language? It's referring to something greater between these two men. For this reason, I needed some commentary help. I like Matthew Henry's commentary on this scene. It's kind of long, but it defines the scene way better than I can. So I'm going to read the, his words of the Matthew Henry commentary about the scene between David and Jonathan. Jonathan conceived an extraordinary kindness and affection for David. When he had made an end of speaking to Saul, he fell perfectly in love with him. Whether it refers to his conference with Saul before the battle or to that after, in which is probably much more was said than it was set down, is uncertain. But in both, David expressed himself with so much prudence, modesty, and piety, such a felicity of expression, with such boldness, and yet with such sweetness, and all this so natural and unaffected, and the more surprising because of the disadvantages of his education and appearance, that the soul of Jonathan was immediately knit unto the soul of David. Jonathan had formerly set upon a Philistine army with the same faith and bravery, 
with which David had now attacked a Philistine giant. So there was between them a very near resemblance of affections, dispositions, and counsels, which made their spirits unite too easily, so quickly, so closely, that they seemed but as one soul in two bodies. None had so much reason to dislike David as Jonathan had, because he was to put him by the crown, yet none regards him more. Those that are governed in their love by principles and wisdom and grace will not suffer their affections to be alienated by any secular regards or considerations. The greater thoughts will swallow up and overrule the less. He testified his love to David by generous presents he made to him. He was uneasy at seeing so great a soul, though lodged in so fair a body, yet disguised in the mean and despicable dress of a poor shepherd, and therefore takes great care to put him steadily into the habit of a courtier by giving a man of court, and he gave him his robe, and of a soldier, for he gave him, instead of a staff and a sling, a sword and a bow, and instead of a shepherd's scrip, a girdle, either a belt or a sash, and which made the present much more obliging, and they were the same that he himself had worn. He stripped himself of them to dress David in them. Saul would not fit Saul's clothes would not fit him, or armor would not fit him, but Jonathan's did. Their bodies were of the same size, a circumstance which well agreed with the suitableness of their minds. And when Saul put these marks of honor on David, he put them off again, because he could he would first earn them and then wear them. But now that he had given proofs of the spirit of a prince and a soldier, he was not ashamed to wear the habits of a prince and a soldier. David is seen in Jonathan's clothes, that all may take notice that he is Jonathan's second self. Our Lord Jesus has thus shown his love to us, that he stripped himself to clothe us, emptied himself to enrich us. Nay, he did more than Jonathan. He clothed himself with our rags. Whereas Jonathan did not put on David's. He endeavored to per perpetuate his relationship, so entirely satisfied were they in each other, even at the first interview, that they made a covenant with each other. Their mutual affection was sincere, and he that bears an honest mind startles not at assurances. True love desires to be constant. Those who love Christ as their own souls will be willing to join themselves to him in an everlasting covenant. So wrapping up that scene between David and Jonathan, there's so much more to it. Um, David and Jonathan were going to be friends for life. Despite their splitting of time and space, they will be best friends for life. Now that we've given a context for David and Jonathan, we can venture to the weirdness and dark side of Saul as it takes over. As David returns after killing the Philistine in a successful campaign against the Philistines, there was great rejoicing in Israel. It was so grand, even the servant girls celebrated the victories and their new hero. There was dancing and singing with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. In other words, even the spirit over David worship went ahead of him. And as the women danced, they sang this song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. In other words, Saul's getting consumed 
with jealousy and fear. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was plying the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. If you just heard what I said and doubt that you just heard it, it would make sense. Seriously, the hero of Israel, David, escaped death at the hand of the king that he empowered and lifted up and brought stability and saved him by taking on the giant. This will not be the first time Saul does something crazy with his spear. Next, Saul hopes to have David killed by sending him out into battle with the Philistines. I imagine he purposely gave him impossible task. Though he was over a thousand men, David was probably sent out against entire Philistine armies. One thousand men against an entire army. But instead, David only came back away a greater hero each time he went into battle. So we have to imagine... It is in this time that David begun, begins to forge a relationship with many of his future mighty men who follow this boy into battle against their Iron Age opponent, the Philistines. Check out this verse, 1 Samuel eighteen fourteen. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. How successful should you and me be with the Lord with us. What a wonderful promise. In everything, God can grant success because he is with you. Reminds me of one of my life verses, Proverbs sixteen three. whatever you give to the Lord will be a success. How powerful. Saul's plan backfires because David's acclaim only increases and David only comes back after leading Israel's armies in victory. But Saul comes up with another plan. This time he offers his daughter, Merib, if he continues to fight Israel's battles. David responds in humility, Who am I to be the king's son-in-law? Saul tries again when he offers his daughter, Michael, for 100 Philistines' foreskins. Yes, that is what I said. For Saul's daughter, he wants, as a dowry from David, 100 Philistine foreskins for his daughter. Well, David takes his men out to fight, and when the elapsed time came, David emptied a bag with the Philistine foreskins in front of Saul, and they were counted. Yes, that is what it says. There was 200 Philistine foreskins that David brought back. It's a nasty business being the king's son-in-law. 1 Samuel 18.27 David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Micah Love David. Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. All right, so we're going to end here, 
And the next week, we'll continue the story of David in the court of Saul and the jealousy and rage of King Saul. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's go back to the scene with Jonathan and David. Two men, two warriors, two familiar spirits, two men who encounter the love of God and His glory, no doubt two men destined to walk in this life as friends, best friends. The picture of grace and love and glory and fellowship at a new level, not a scene of man and woman or teacher or master or apprentice, but loyal, faithful friends for life. Two men destined to change the world together, each with the history and living a life in legendary time of wars and battles, giants and kingdoms. I've met a few people who've stated they've had a best friend for dozens of years, and every one of them seem to have something others do not. There is a richness and relationship and love for fellow man that others seem to lack. Now I ask you, the listeners, a question. Understanding that relationships are part of life. Jesus had three in his inner circle. Then he had 12 disciples in a middle circle. And then he had a wider circle with the group of 70. And then he has the church. God called us into relationships, and many of them are close. These relationships are impactful, transparent, and help us to heal our inner hurts and past. But it is in these relationships where we can experience the relationship that Jesus explained when he said, No longer do I call you servants, but friends. It is these relationships we find intimacy in life that only Christ can bring. It's a, it's a different level of the understanding of the love of God and relationship that we can learn through these type of friends. It is the expression of Jesus relationally that we can find a close covenant relationship with others. Many of us do not have a relationship like this or have not made them yet. This is okay, but sometimes there is an action on our part. There is a trusting and a leaping of faith to become um, closer and to become friends with others. We must step in faith and trust our hearts and allow others into our lives. Who knows, God may have a Jonathan for you. David, no doubt, will keep his relationship with Jonathan despite the distance and forces separating them. Best friends for life, and no one will be able to replace Jonathan upon his death later in our story. I ask you, the listeners, who are your covenant friends? If Jesus had three groups of friends, the three, Peter, James, and John, the 12 disciples and the 70 who evangelized with them, who are your covenant friends? Pray about it. And if you do not have them or are unaware of the obvious around you, let the Lord connect you with those who will enrich and satisfy your life and bring and assist you to achieve the calling that God has placed on your life. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. 
Stay tuned next week as we continue our coverage of David in the Court of Saul. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at message to kings at gmail.com.